Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. Hey, gents, welcome back to Apex Masculinity. You're in the right place. I'm your host, Nick Chantos. Guys, back by popular demand, uh, an episode that I had uploaded a while back, wasn't sure if it was the right kind of positive, encouraging, uplifting content that would be uh, akin to the other things that are on my platform. But a lot of people have asked to hear it again. So, I'll just preface by saying this is a story about a state of mind that I walked in constantly for years and years as a homeless man bound up in uh, addictions to methamphetamines and alcohol and a whole host of other things, anything I could get my hands on basically to alleviate a pain that I had within myself that, again, I didn't even know existed. Um, There isn't a lot of positive, uplifting content by way of tools and tactics on how to be a better man. It's more just a story to let people know how far gone I was. So that when I share today stories like being married to the woman of my dreams for 14 years, being at the apex of my career in the oil and gas industry, um, just having a family that I love and care for, that reciprocate that love back, being strong financially, um, and just walking, uh, not perfect, but in a more sound state of mind. It allows people to see the contrast of where one can be to where one can go. And it lets people know, um, and again, I be who you are, right? My podcast is open for anyone that gets encouragement and enjoyment out of it. I have podcast analytics that show me gender, age, uh, country of origin where people are listening. And I have a following of people that are both male and female. There's a few women out there that actually get encouragement from listening to the show. Um, There is a large following of people that are already successful in life. They just enjoy the reaffirmation because we all have those down times where we're feeling discouraged and um, struggling with self-doubt and self-sabotage and self-limiting belief systems and these things. But the agenda from the get-go was that this podcast and this content and these stories from my own life would get into the hands of men, men that are hurting, men that are broken, men that are clueless on what it means to be a good husband, to be a good father, to hold a job, to be sober for any length of time. Men that are just getting out of prison. Uh, Men that are tired of living in residential rehab homes because they can't stay sober long enough and believe in themselves long enough to win this devil, so to speak. 
And I just wanted to offer them stories, not only from my own life, but as the show progresses, I plan to have guests that will come on the show and share stories from their lives. And in fact, I've just gotten myself to the place in my podcast where Apex Masculinity is ready to start having guest speakers on the show. But the agenda was to always go to the bottom. And I say that with respect and love for men that are just getting started, that are looking for some direction, some tools, and some encouragement. So this story is a story about a meth bender that I went on one of many years ago that almost cost me my life several different times in the span of one night because I had altered my reality to the point where I was literally walking, skirting the edge of death. And like I said, back by popular demand, uh, we'll play it. Also, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, if any of these podcasts, episodes have been encouraging to you in any way or even remotely entertaining, I'm just going to ask that you would reach out. Um, I'm easy to find on Facebook. Nick Chantos, my wife and I share a page. Um, you can text me 701-651-8686. You can go to apexmasculinity.com and leave us an email. Any way you want to contact me, please reach out and let me know that the content has been encouraging to you. I'd love to hear that you've been encouraged or learned something about yourself or the world around you in some way. So now, without further ado, we'll start Meth Trips Amongst the Undead, Part 1. It was February of 1998. I had just shot up a huge half-gram blast of crystal methamphetamines in the bathroom of the neighborhood gas station in Evanston, Wyoming. This was the first time in my history of meth use that I ever bought dope that was made with ether rather than lighter fluid. It tasted like cocaine instead of the normal toxic petroleum flavor that I had become accustomed to. As usual, I was already insanely out of my mind high before borrowing the bathroom at the 7-Eleven for another round of injections. I had this process down to a science. I would stash my dope before injecting it. That way, all I had to do was rinse my needle, quickly flush my cotton and get the cap back on top of my needle, and very quickly leave the gas station before the intense rush of adrenaline and dopamine took over my entire person. I always knew that it had been a home run blast when my vision got blurred like the tracking on an old school VCR and I could hear the deafening rhythmic whoosh of helicopter blades pulsing in my ears. I had been hitchhiking across the country for several years already, searching for something or some place, searching for some type of new experience or stroke of luck maybe that would change the fact that I was completely bound in addictions to anything and everything that would alleviate a pain that I didn't even realize existed inside of me. I mean, maybe I kind of knew there was something off, but I definitely couldn't quantify or explain exactly what it was. All I knew in this moment is that the helicopters were friendly and the shadow monsters were not. I hadn't eaten or slept in days. No worries, though. We had enough shandy glass to get us at least into Salt Lake City before that notorious and climactic event known as automatic body shutdown 
or ABS, took place. Only the more experienced and veteran road tramp tweakers like myself were able to time this event with being in a land filled with homeless shelters and soup kitchens. The Mormons were strict, but they took care of their tramps. The greater Salt Lake Valley was a land overflowing with wealthy religious people that were committed to their ideology of feeding and sheltering the misfortunate folks that happened through their turf. As well, there was always some good day labor jobs for a transient street rat like myself to be able to scrounge up the next round of funding to re-up the dope sack and get on the way. Stepping out of the bathroom now, feeling rightly medicated, the helicopters and I set out on our journey to nowhere in particular, because quite honestly, until this dope wears off, I'm already right where I want to be. Alas, we have to keep moving though, right? I had enough cognitive sensibility to know that I should distance myself from anyone human or pretending to be. In this state of mind, humans were the enemy, unpredictable, suspicious, and always staring. The shadow monsters at least honored a set of rules. Yes, to be seen and heard with the occasional perceived malicious intentions, but never actualizing any real harm towards me. They were my favorite part of the experience. The delusion, the altered reality, the altered perception. As my usage continued and the sleep deprivation worsened, my self-induced state of Mad Hatter psychosis gave rise and intensity to the shadow people. Basically, the higher I got, the more of them there were, and the more sinister was their perceived intentions, hiding behind everything, whispering, just loud enough to not be sure if they were even there at all, occasionally darting out behind a bush or a building only to vanish from my peripheral vision just as quickly as they had entered it. As my meth-induced hallucinations intensified, I decided that an epic showdown between them and I was eminent. It was time to fall off the map. Yep, we were good and lost now. Let the games commence. I knew that at some point I would need to be near the highway, but not close enough to attract any imperial entanglements. The railroad tracks that ran parallel with I-80 were set back about a mile from the asphalt. Seemed safe enough. I began my trip. I walked for miles down those railroad tracks. Completely oblivious was I to the frigid temperatures associated with the now blizzard-like conditions that were escalating as the last remaining evidence of light vanished over an obscured horizon. Miles and miles of walking, talking to myself, yelling at the shadow people for not being as slick as they thought they were. I knew they were there, all around me, hiding in the sagebrush, again whispering just loud enough to not be sure. They were really good at what they did, Yet, it's against the rules of the game for me to let them know that, though. They must believe that I know that they are out there. It's only when they suspect that you're unsure of their existence that they increase their levels of malicious intent. I have to stay vigilant. There's really only one way to do that, I suppose. I called a timeout. It was obvious that I needed another blast if I was going to keep up with so many of them especially if it was going to get dark soon. Up ahead was a tiny substation next to the tracks. It was a little shack of a building less than six square feet in dimension, 
All I really needed was the illumination from the sickly yellow light emanating from above the tiny door on the outside. It's hard to hit a vein in the dark. As I reached my destination, I retrieved my needle and my spoon from my bag, quietly humming that old hippie song by Janis Joplin about a harpoon and a dirty red bandana. I grabbed my dope sack and had the frustrating realization that I had no water in which to liquefy my dope so that I could draw it back up into my syringe. Compounding this frustration was the irony that I was surrounded by tons of moisture in the form of snow and ice, unusable. Not to be deterred, we decided to get primeval. My only option was to draw 30 units of warm blood from my own arm to use as the liquefying agent to get that dope into a liquid injectable state. The wind was merciless. The light kept flickering. Somebody was laying on the roof of this building watching me, claws outstretched, waiting for me to focus too intently on my task so that they could... Man, it was such an inconvenience trying to get high in these conditions. I had the thought that I should call my local legislature and complain, but at this point, I didn't really know where I was or who to call. Had I crossed the state line yet? No way to tell for sure. Besides, cell phones hadn't been invented yet, and the last couple of times that I tried to use my spoon as a phone, it didn't work. Bad signal, I guess. I decided to just do all of it. You know, just quit fighting with the elements and, and get it all done and get it out of the way. You know, be done with it. How much was left, you asked? Funny how that information is really important to at least half of the people that are listening to this. I'll say this much. It was enough to open the portal. Only some of you will understand that. And that's okay. There's an amount of meth that once ingested takes a person to a land where there are no rules. Nothing is absolute. Time, gravity, common sense, reality, and pain don't exist there. You develop your own fantasy reality depending on what's internally taking place within you at the moment. One truly crosses the threshold where the living and the dead coexist. Struggling against the elements and the intense scrutiny of my imaginary companions was too stressful. The coldness around me was starting to make my bloody concoction coagulate. Fighting the wind in my blurred vision, I finally landed the kill shot and... Damn. The helicopters are back again. As the chemicals entered my bloodstream, my body instantly became awash with the soothing warmth that every meth addict is familiar with, but can't rightly explain. Like, like being tucked in with a weighted blanket on a bed of clean sheets pulled straight from the dryer. The euphoria starts in your head and very quickly moves through every part of your person. There is nothing on earth that compares to this. Not even sex. I'm whole again. I'm well again. I'm sliding down the outside wall of this tiny brick shack to my ass, gasping for breath as my vision now turns kaleidoscopic. I see it. The portal is welcoming. Beckoning. Familiar. I can't move. Paralyzed by adrenaline and dopamine coursing through every fiber of my being. I don't even need to step through it. The portal passes over me like an all-knowing entity. 
aware of my desire to vanish into the fray. In response to my actions, it condescends to my request, giving me entrance and access to the land of demented reality. Yes, we are now truly as far away from reality as anyone can be. I'm so thankful to be lost. I would very much like to stay right here forever. I cannot remember my pain. It's pointless to try and keep track of time in a state of mind like this. Nevertheless, as my breathing resumed to normal, and my head regained some sense of cognizant awareness, I felt the need to know what time it was here on Earth. I'd never done a shot like that. Never done a shot that big before. Where was I? Damn, who was I? Subconsciously, I knew at gut level to just fall into the high and let go of any unanswered questions about irrelevant issues concerning identity and geographical location. In fact, truth be told, I was now no one. I was now nowhere. And that's what I signed up for, right? Yes. Indeed, yes. My companions had been gracious to me thus far. They always gave me a minute to recover before resuming the game. However, I could sense their malicious fidgeting was reaching a crescendo. They were anxious to begin again, and I would need to be on my feet in A-game mode very soon. I had to know the time. I decided to make a sundial using my spoon and the light from the iridescent bulb above the door on the train shack. I couldn't make sense of it. Was I supposed to face north? Hell, it didn't matter. The shadow kept spinning around the spoon like the second hand of a clock. Best I could guess, it was 2 a.m. Give or take three days. The shuffling impatience of the shadow monsters was now audible. Their whispers of impending doom and destruction were now modifying into a steady roar. There must have been hundreds of them. Their hatred for me was literally vibrating the ground around me. As I picked up my tools and readied myself for round two, I was struck blind by what seemed to be the light of a thousand suns all converged at once. Seriously, though, the entire prairie was lit up in a moment as though the stadium lights had come on all at once. Was this judgment day? I was toast. This is not the way to meet your maker. The light intensified just before the trumpets sounded off. Deafening. Dreadful. The brass instruments boomed off the landscape like cannon fire. Woe is me. I am undone, weighed in the balances and found wanting. I fell to my knees awaiting those eternal and rightly deserved words. Depart from me, you that work sin and iniquity into everlasting torment. They never came. The ruggedness of the terrain caused a momentary bend in the curvature of the tracks, allowing the floodlight on the train to point north. I could clearly see the silhouette of the engine as it barreled up over the hillside. The apocalypse wasn't upon me after all. Not cool, man. Didn't he realize that there were people out here trying to fight demons, shadow monsters, heavily under the influence of psychotropic stimulants. Really, the nerve of some people. The engineer kept laying on that god-awful horn almost as if he was trying to send me a message. I didn't know Morse code. I couldn't read Braille, and I certainly didn't understand this archaic dialect of train siren. 
He was coming straight at me. All this damn room out here, and he's got that thing pointed right at me. It took a second to realize that I'd been kneeling on the tracks. Fair enough, I guess. I stepped off the tracks a few feet. Apparently that wasn't enough room for his royal majesty because he decided to intensify his barrage of cannon fire across the landscape. What was he doing out here this late anyway? Only a very deranged human being would be out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming in a blizzard at 2 a.m. I pointed the handle of my utility spoon towards the train and spoke into the ladle. Breaker 5780, do you copy? No response. The towers must be down again. A few more unresponsive attempts to communicate before giving up and deciding to move on. I elected to turn south back towards the interstate and give His Majesty all the room he so arrogantly thought that he needed. My heart stopped cold. The brilliance of the floodlight on the train had now lit up the savannah in all directions. There were legions of them uncountable thousands of shadow monsters that had formerly been obscured from my vision by the cloak of darkness were now exposed by the floodlight on the train, tucked in and behind every rock, every shrub, every conceivable inanimate object on the terrain had become a hiding place for these mischievous bastards. I had the sinking realization in that moment that the helicopters had been quietly bringing them in through the cover of darkness all night, parachuting them in. Could no one be trusted? I admit that I panicked. There were just too many of them for your casual run-of-the-mill game of hide-and-seek. Obviously, they were strengthening their numbers for a final takedown. You simply don't invest this kind of manpower without justifiable cause. The rules of the game were now changing. There would be no more timeouts. There would be no mercy. I needed a safe place, and I needed it fast. The light from the train had revealed my enemies. Therefore, the light was the undeniable safe haven. I bolted down the track straight for the light, straight for the train as fast as my feet would carry me. Why is he laying on that god-awful horn again? With the light piercing straight into my eyes, it was hard to manage the ground beneath my feet. I hooked my foot on a railroad tie and tumbled off the tracks, ass over end through the sagebrush. I felt something squish underneath me, snarl and scurry off as I skidded face first through the dirt. Don't look. Sometimes it's better not to know. I'm usually not one to harass inferior life forms during exoplanetary explorations like this. It'll just have to get over it. Clearly, I have my own set of problems right now. I quickly stood to my feet in time to see the conductor hanging halfway out the one solitary window on the train engine. I couldn't quite make out what he was saying, but judging by the look on his face and the way he was flailing his arms about, I could tell he was screaming out a level of vulgar and inappropriate profanity that would make even a submarine sailor ashamed to hear. He must be in terrible agony, I thought. I could see no other reason for his dramatic display of charades. The demons had obviously gotten into the train engine. I was sure of it. They were probably eating him alive from the inside or were starting on his legs and working their way up like a school of piranhas ripping and tearing his flesh from the bone in pieces. All of this just so I could see what would soon befall me. They wanted me in a state of abject horror before they devoured me alive. Damn, poor bastard. There was nothing I could do for him now. I grabbed my bag quickly and hightailed it towards the asphalt. There was another soft glowing white light emanating from the freeway down below. I pulled my spoon out and flipped my wrist around a couple of times like I was opening a switchblade or a butterfly knife. 
They needed to know that I was armed and dangerous. It might save me some time. Running full sprint down the hillside, I could hear the siren getting louder and louder. They had taken over the train and jumped the tracks. Any second now, they'd be driving that tank right over the top of me. I'm no Jason Bourne, but I knew at full sprint I could make the freeway in under six minutes. I was running so fast, I actually gained enough momentum to lift myself off the ground. The rhythmic pounding of my feet crunching through the snow came to a halt, yet my body still soared inches above the landscape. Unbelievable. I made a mental note to never buy dope in Wyoming again. No wonder them hillbillies were crazy. My supernatural flight powers came to a screeching halt as I cracked through the ice of the frozen livestock pond that I had been sailing across. I wondered for a moment if they would follow me down here. I never got the chance to find out. The pond was only three feet deep in the center. With all the inertia and the momentum that I had gained coming down the hillside, I actually flew out of the hole as fast as I had fallen in. Now, face first, ice burning down my cheek, I slid at breakneck speed towards the embankment that surrounded the circumference of the entire pond. How in the hell did they manage to get in front of me? Crouching on the embankment, waiting were three of the most unholy and grotesque shadow monsters that I have ever encountered. Haggard and decrepit, hunched over with claws, outstretched, fangs bearing with gleeful, ravenous hunger. So this is how it ends, huh? Well, I wasn't going out without a fight. I aimed my spoon as I slid down the ice in the direction that I assumed it would do the most damage. I will be remembered in the chronicles of the undead. My name will be whispered in hushed circles among the dark ones as a man who went out with respect and dignity. My last moments alive will be spent dying with honor, defending myself from the hellish fiends that sought my life and my soul. Seconds before impact, I was brutally kicked in the face. I'd never been hit with such ferocity in my life. With my spoon aimed square and true, I closed my eyes as I slammed into the dirt embankment. At least three of them gored me with their horns, teeth, and claws while I simultaneously drove my spoon wrist deep, straight through the torso, past the vital organs, and clean through the spinal column of one of my assailants. A sickly wet popping sound emitted as my trusty spoon ruptured through its backside. The bite wounds on my neck, face, and hands were on fire. I'd laid there, spent, heaving for breath, waiting for the venom to sink in and convert me to my rightful place amongst the ranks of the undead, forever doomed to wander the open plains of southwest Wyoming, looking for victims such as I was to feed off their fear and stupidity. Moments passed, nothing. Just get it over with already. I couldn't move. I could barely breathe. Pinned to the ground, they were letting the apprehension build. That's all right. At least I got one. Up until tonight, I don't think it's ever happened. No one has ever killed a shadow monster. The glory is mine. I will be remembered. They must be giving a moment of silence to their fallen comrade before the real torment begins. There would be no one to hear my tortured screams as they echoed across the prairie. I was in bad shape. A few minutes later, a break in the clouds afforded me the necessary moonlight to gain a more accurate assessment of my circumstances. 
Apparently, I'd slid down the ice, slamming face first into a cedar post before entangling myself in triple-spurbed barbed wire fencing that surrounded the pond. All of this coinciding in an instant as I drove my rounded shank straight through the wet center of an Escoberia cactus that was minding its own business at the pond. I just laid there. True to the rules, they never touched me. Their mischievous laughter was more felt than heard, being drowned out by two final elongated bursts of a profane and obscene insult coming from the conductor, who just like me had managed to survive his ordeal unscathed as he and his train disappeared over the last ridge into the night. Yeah, you too, buddy. I opted to yank the thorns out of my hands and neck before untangling myself from the barbed wire. It wasn't the single-strand stuff either. This sucked. Who did this to me? Freeing myself from my entrapment, I stood to my feet. I had the unsettling realization that they were never trying to kill me. They were only trying to get me to kill myself. Wow. Grateful to be mostly alive, I hobbled the remaining 40 yards out of the wilderness back into civilization and right through the front doors of the commercial way station for CDL trucks. The one solitary Department of Transportation officer on duty that night looked me over and got on the phone. After a quick call, he asked if he could help me. I informed him that I had been trying to hitchhike out of Wyoming into Salt Lake City and got stranded. I asked if I could just warm myself for a moment before attempting to walk back to Evanston. He consented to my request. Yet, minutes later, a highway patrol officer walked through the doors. Same scenario, same story. He also, I think, as more of a favor to his fellow port of entry counterpart, obliged me a warm ride in the back seat of his patrol vehicle. He asked only one question from the front side of the cage that separated the stoic chauffeur from his troubled patronage. Where are you headed? Anything that's open, I responded. I just needed to be able to warm up, maybe get a cup of coffee and be, the, be in the vicinity of morning traffic that would soon be headed west into the great state of Utah. After a brief but calming 20-minute ride, the door opened. I climbed out of the patrol car dry enough and thankful to be back amongst the living. Our destination seemed familiar. Ah, yes. This was the very same 7-Eleven that I had started this god-awful psychotropic nightmare just 12 hours earlier. How ironic. I had once again almost killed myself multiple times in an effort to get nowhere. Seriously, though, overdose, train death, hypothermia, blunt force trauma. In that moment, though, it was the most riveting, thoroughly enjoyable excitement that I had created for myself to revel in. My escape from reality. Question is, what was I running from? Myself? My past? My wounds? Those that I've wounded? Who knew? Who cared? No one did. And that in itself was all the more cause to run further and further down this darkening path. I slumped down the brick wall outside the gas station, coming to rest underneath the payphone. I could see the taunting dance of my antagonist flickering down the alleyway with the headlights of every passing vehicle, mocking me, jeering and ridiculing my plight, their seductive swaying enticing me to once again come out of the light and play. I'm good.
I shall lick my wounds and heal. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day, they say. Eighty-five miles yet to Salt Lake. I hunkered down, kept watchful, hallucinating eye, and waited for daylight. By now, you're probably asking yourself, what in the hell does a story like this have to do with personal growth and development or self-awareness? I would ask you, what had transpired in my innocent youthful years that would make a grown man believe that not only was this an acceptable life, but a preferred one? Why was I so intent on altering my reality to the point where self-destruction was a non-issue? What was I running from? Why was I unable to see myself sober, successful, and happy? Thank you.